Hello and welcome to the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. This is episode 48. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, we've got a, a slightly different episode again this week in many ways, um, for very different reasons this time. Obviously Liverpool, we were supposed to be reflecting on the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg. But obviously Liverpool's game with Arsenal has been postponed um, and the fixtures have been swapped, if you like. Um, so instead, we're going to get some initial reactions to what's going on this week in terms of obviously Liverpool's training grounds being closed um, and more positive tests within the camp. But also we're going to look at the January transfer window because obviously that opened versus January and clubs in this country have 31 days to do some business. Whether Liverpool will be one of them is a different story altogether. Um, but first, we're going to play our topical version of Who Am I? And it's topical for two reasons, because this player was a January transfer arrival for Liverpool. Um, and also, it's his birthday today. So, uh, I'm with Dave Comerford and Chloe Bloxham as ever. So, that they're the voices you're going to hear, hopefully, in a second when they guess this footballer. So... He played 58 times for Liverpool and scored 11 goals. I'm doing it in a funny order this week in terms of how I'm giving you the clues because I don't want to give it away too early. Um, yeah, we signed him in 2011, in January. Uh, his honours include the League Cup in 2012. He made his international debut in 2010 against France. Is that, and he got. Is it Andy Carroll? It is Andy Carroll. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping that one would be a quick one. Um, I thought you were going to go for. Go on. Sorry, my head was literally. I, I literally sat there and was like, I was ten. I can't remember anything. I'm. I'm being deadly serious. <laughs> That's fair enough. I didn't want to go. I could have gone different way with the clues. Like, you know, the money was thirty-five million. You know, bought from Newcastle. Yeah. You know, he still yeah, played. Like he turned thirty-three today. Um, Too obvious. Only thirty-five mil. Yeah, because it, yeah, yeah, it was a notorious price tag. But uh, yes. I thought you were going to go Stephen Corker, actually, um, when I said January signed, and then I heard 11 goals, and I was thinking, well, we did play him as a striker, <laughs> but I don't think like it, yeah. like yeah. it, it worked, that, worked that well. So, yeah. Well, I just looked at January signings and some of the more notorious ones, um, and obviously when I seen it was also his birthday today, the 6th, it was an absolute no-brainer. Um, but yeah, so like I say, we have... You know, a bit of a different episode this week. Um, I'll, I'll come to you first, Dave, on Liverpool's postponement, I suppose. And, you know, social media, as ever, has been, you know, a hot place for all this. Um, and some Arsenal fans not particularly pleased with the fact Liverpool got the game postponed. Um, you know, your reaction to what's going on this week and has the right call been made, I suppose? Well, I suppose to start from the Liverpool perspective and, you know... Obviously, the the issue of having the training ground closed and COVID sweeping through the team, um, you know, it's slightly strange thing to say, but I I almost think if this was going to happen to us, it's kind of come at a decent time. You know, we've obviously been affected by COVID previously um, in the, in the Spurs and Chelsea games affecting our season, but I think now you you look at it and if we do have to play a game with a severely depleted squad it looks like it's going to be against um against Shrewsbury in the cup um so this was a kind of spell in the season where we had three cup matches in a row 
And uh, yeah, hopefully by the time we have our next league game, things have kind of cleared up a bit, especially with the isolation period being seven days now. Um, on the reaction, you know, the first thing I saw was, you know, scrolling through my feed was, you know, seeing people say, oh, you know, complaining about the reaction, like, oh, only typical that Liverpool would draw the anger. And I was like, you know, maybe they're, you know, pulling things out of proportion a little bit. Um, maybe there's only one or two people are actually complaining. Surely people are being reasonable. But then it became clear to me that there genuinely were a lot of people angry over this. And I guess rather than, you know, delving into the the rights and wrongs, I mean, it's it's obvious that this game couldn't have been played on, and the rules are obvious as well. And the training ground's been closed. So I don't know what people expect. But I think my main takeaway from it is just how big a club Liverpool are. And you see this when Jurgen Klopp talks about something in his press conference and it becomes a subject of, almost national debate or certainly national football and debate like fixture congestion is probably quite a good example um and it's happened here as well it's like when other clubs are having games postponed and other clubs you know to add to add to that who don't have as strong a case as liverpool you know there has been quite a lot of variation when they're getting games postponed it's you know largely quiet maybe a few complaints about fans being informed later on or whatever but now it's even despite the circumstances and despite it being very clear cut, there is this huge sort of dialogue that's erupted and people saying, oh, late in audience and got kicked out of the competition and things like that. And one rule for them, one rule for the others and stuff. So yeah, that's I think that's my main takeaway from it. It's just the the capacity that Liverpool have to anger people, even for totally ridiculous reasons. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, it was coming from quite reputable places as well. You know, what we all think of certain avenues on social media is always up for debate. But, you know, pretty reputable accounts and stuff like that were calling out the, the fact the decision had been made. And it all seemed a bit bizarre because, like you say, Liverpool certainly had a solid case. Um, and there's been so many postponements recently that... I don't see if we were the first one and it was totally out of the blue, you might understand a little bit of anger towards it, but it's almost become part of the course in recent weeks. So I don't, I didn't really understand. And certainly when you delve into the reasons behind it, a lot of people were saying, play the kids, play the academy, referencing the Aston Villa game previously. But when you take into account the academy and the kids are in the same place, that's just been closed down. That's just a non-starter. Um, I want to get your thoughts on it as well, Chloe. I also want to get your thoughts on what's now, like I said earlier, is the reverse of the fixture. So obviously Liverpool were due to play Arsenal second leg at Anfield. That's now not the case. Um, do you think that's handed a little bit of an advantage back over to Arsenal in terms of the outcome of the fixture? But like I say, I also just want to get your, your thoughts on mainly the reaction on social media this week. Uh, firstly, I think common sense has prevailed here to be honest let's let's get it correct every team in that premier league have tried to get games postponed and not just that they tried to get games postponed they've used the old classic of we also have injuries and therefore we don't have enough players and i can understand that's a gray area because now people are getting away with things because of injuries but this was genuinely uh outbreak of COVID, which by the way, is not a thing that man can control. 
we can't do nothing about that. COVID, it's not something we can see. It's not something that we're aware of. It can take up to seven days to even test positive in someone's body. On a, like, It can be in your body and be passing it to people and it won't show up on a test until it's at its peak. This is something that so many teams recently have had a problem with, but they've also had a problem with injuries and somehow it went under the radar. But as it's Liverpool, obviously everyone has to fume. Uh, we are literally the biggest team in Europe for sure. Liverpool in in the Eng- in in England, we've got the most trophies. Everyone absolutely can't stand us, and I don't mind it. Everyone can't stand us, but when people try and come up with conspiracy theories at the fact that Jurgen Klopp's just decided to pretend everyone's got COVID because of the Afghan nations, I think he's taking it one step too far when. The lad literally lost his mum to COVID and couldn't go to a funeral. Like, just, it's it's serious. It's, it's something that's killing people worldwide. It's not something to joke about. It's not something that anyone's made up. It's something that no one can control. So a serious outbreak within a facility, if it happened in any workspace, you should all be made to work from home. Footballers can't work from home. And therefore, they all needed to be tested. It was only closed less than 24 hours before the, you know, Arsenal game anyway. So it really, it was, it, it, it's one of those where there just couldn't have been any other possible outcome. Um, and if another team had to do it versus us, then so what? As long as it was a, a COVID outbreak, then there's nothing you can do about it. And in fact, I'd rather not play yous on the off chance that you've actually got COVID in your squad. That's just not showing up on tests. Um, so yeah, I thought thought the Twitter and the outrage was just a bit over the top, a bit dramatic, um, especially for people, you know, saying like, I can't, like, they were all like, you know, we basically feel a team of teenagers years ago. We don't care about the Carabao Cup. Uh, and now that we're actually, you know, trying to put a full strength team out because we're in the semi final, everyone's like, uh, well, it, it means not on field, you're under nine. So, yeah, uh, just a bit dramatic by every other team, to be honest. Um, but uh, moving forward, I think it's gave Arsenal an advantage um, because I'd much rather play uh, the away leg, obviously, first and be at home second with the crowd behind you. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's one of those where we've had to postpone it. So I can see why they've now got the, the you know, the advantage. Because um, at the end of the day, switching it round might be another disaster. Uh, and there's more, you know, confusion and more people probably going to attack that as well. So I'm fine with the way that it's going to go because there's no other way to do it. Um, but it, I feel like it does give Arsenal the advantage. But hopefully... You know, as long as we play very well in the first leg, hopefully we can put it out of sight in the first leg. If we've got the players, um, we've got the atmosphere, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to go for it. But yeah, um, just a bit over dramatic by absolutely everyone. Yeah, definitely echo echo a lot of that. Um, and I think you know, just to finish on the point, Liverpool have kind of been muddling through for a couple of weeks through Premier League games. I think if you know, if my memory serves me right, I think it was the Tottenham game we first had a few players missing through COVID, um, and then the Chelsea game the same. So it almost felt like at some point, you know, we might fall foul of a postponement 
um, off our own back, because obviously the Leeds game was as well for different reasons. Um, it just so happens that it happened to be the first game after Salah, Keita and Mane left for Afghan, um, which probably caused a bit more of a stir than it needed to, because, you know, although the games are going to get played whilst they're still at Afghan, I think a lot of rival fans thought how convenient, but they were wrong, obviously. Um, so we'll move on. Anyway, like I say, so we're going to discuss January transfers um, and dream transfer windows as well. Um, and look at a couple of people we'd like to bring in, um, realistic options, um, and also maybe have a look who might be on the way out of the club this month. Um, so like I said earlier, I touched upon it, You know, January is notoriously not a particularly... I want to say busy period, but I suppose it is busy and it has been busy for Liverpool in the past, but good business isn't always done in this transfer window. And Liverpool have bought in Philip Coutinho, Daniel Sturridge, Luis Suarez in January previously, but we've also bought in Andy Carroll and Stephen Corker, like we alluded to. So mixed, mixed successes there, I'd say. Um, Dave, I'll come to you first. I suppose I want to get your first realistic option to bring in. Um, and, but I also want to get you know, an idea of what the best window would be for Liverpool. But also, I want to get your honest opinion on whether you think we will be busy this month or will it be a quiet one again? I mean, honest opinion is that we won't sign anyone. And that's, you know, the indication that we've received, obviously, from, you know, the reliable sources is that it's unlikely that any business will take place. Um but you know, it's still worth talking about for you know some of the reasons you mentioned, and it is just um, a bit of fun, definitely. Yeah, I see. And, I see. Sorry to interrupt. I see James Pierce has um, dismissed or dismissed the uh, Luis Diaz links links quite quickly as well. Yeah, he's. I, I mentioned that to my mate. I said that Pierce has pierced the uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. the Diaz links, but it wasn't a total a total flattening of them because it it did seem like. Um, you know, we're fans of, of Diaz, uh, but we just don't think he's worth the release clause. Um, maybe we'll uh, mention him um, again later in the podcast. But but yeah, um, the reason I don't think we'll do anything is because FSG, to my mind, want to basically facilitate Liverpool finishing in the top four year on year. And if we win the league or win the Champions League or, you know, win a major trophy then that's kind of a bonus. But from a financial perspective, I think their goal is to get us in the top four. And I think that's why last season we ended up signing um, Davis and, and Kabak towards the end of the window because I don't think the plan originally was to uh, was to add, and that's what we were hearing. But it changed after, I think, uh, Matip got a season-ending injury against uh, Tottenham. And uh, I think up to that point, obviously, we were still near the top of the table and it looked certainly that we'd be top four at the very least. Um, but as it became clear as that month went on, um, that it's it was far from guaranteed and that the season was unravelling a bit, then those um, signings were needed. And I do think Carback helped in that regard. Uh, I think in, in this case, whilst the title may be too much to ask now, um, I don't think there's any doubt at all that we'll finish in the top four. So I that, for that reason, I don't see... A signing being sanctioned, but I also think, um, and this is something I've seen one or two journalists say that if a long term target, um, the players that I'm going to mention, um, in a minute, uh, will be 
you know, long-term targets or players that have certainly been quite strongly linked becomes available um, on a decent deal, then, you know, who's to say that that couldn't happen? But yeah, that's my sort of outlook on it. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at as well, to be honest with you. And you're right to mention um, people sort of, you know, reliable journalists kind of saying it's not going to be a busy one, but then you'll always get, you know, the more eagle-eyed Liverpool supporters amongst the fan base, you know, picking out times where by journalists have said that previously, um, even towards the end of windows, you know, not expecting too much more business. And then suddenly, you know, Jota and Thiago arrive almost out of the blue. I'm picking that sort of window out of thin air, but that's the sort of thing the club have been very good at keeping business under wraps. Um, I personally think there's a need to do business in this window. Um so I'd like to see us do some, definitely. But um, Chloe, I'll get your thoughts just before we press on to who we'd like to sign um, on whether you think Liverpool need to do business. I personally, just to say, I think we would probably ideally would sign a midfielder and competition for Sadio Mane, which might give you an inkling as to where I'm going to go with my signings. But where do you think Liverpool should be looking to strengthen in this window? Yeah, I think the exact same. Um, I think especially with... Uh, the Afghan nations and us losing three players there, two of them, which has been, you know, two of our front three for however many seasons. Um, it's vital that we replace them, especially with the fact that uh, there's rumours of Rigi leaving. There's, you know, Takumi Minamino can't even get games when he's actually available. And there's no, like, there could literally be none, none of our th- front three available. And Takumi Minamino still wouldn't be able to start because... Sometimes Jürgen Klopp just does not start. And the fact that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's starting up front over to Kumi Minamino, uh, I think that speaks volumes. Um, so, yeah, I think we, def- we definitely need squad uh, squad depth there anyway for me. Um, because Jota, who came in to do that left-wing role, let's say, he's actually mm. proven to be a starter up top uh, mm. through the middle. Um, yeah, and, and also with COVID being on top of that, you're always going to have a situation where if there is a little COVID outbreak or something and you risk not having the players there to, to help you get through the games. Uh, aside from that, I think a midfielder, obviously. Um, and I don't know whether, it all depends what who, who goes out, but I would like a backup for Trent. Uh, but... I wouldn't like. I don't necessarily think that is needed now if Nico Williams stays. Yeah. Um, but it would be something that I would be looking at. Yeah, that's fair. I think the Nico Williams situation is definitely one that is going to manifest itself at some point. I don't know if it'll be this window, but he's a player in a weird situation in many ways because he probably knows you know he's not going to usurp Trent at any point. Um, but he's probably good enough to get Premier League football elsewhere, so he's probably looking to move on for his own good. Um, we'll, we'll press on then and get some names off yours. Um, I'll come back to you, Dave, first. Um, first dream sign in this window. So I agree uh, with both of you that a, uh, a midfielder is needed. Um, I think we knew in the summer that it was going to be a significant risk not to replace Wijnaldum. Um and that's proved to be the case. I think we've missed his availability, which we knew we would um, when we looked at the options that we had and how injury-prone some of them were. I think the big issue has been Thiago, you know, as a midfield unit, that Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago is, you know, is is great. And I think is the standard that we need. 
but the available level of availability with Thiago isn't what we need. And uh, I think when we've had to mid, you know, field a midfield three and he's not been available, that's when we've looked uh, vulnerable, really. I think it was less clear how we'd miss Wijnaldum in terms of the skill set that he had. Um, and that just speaks to the nature of the role that he had in the team. And it was going to be a case of you wouldn't really know what you had until it was gone. Um, and I think we have missed, above all else, the defensive protection that he provided in the midfield. I think he was, whilst he did occasionally have lapses in that regard, and there was that obviously that clip that went that went round from the Real Madrid game where he was just completely switched off for one of the goals. Um, I think for the most part, he and Fabinho were really strong um, and maybe stronger than than Henderson, although there are potentially tactical elements of why he's not been able to, uh, he's not offered the level of defensive cover that maybe you would have expected. Mm-hmm. So to start with a midfielder, I've gone for a name that uh, surfaced in the summer. And this was someone who we'd apparently scouted extensively and someone had been linked to Bayern Munich as well. Um, it's Florian Neuhaus. So, mm. This was a name that popped up on my uh, Twitter timeline this week because um, one of the writers at This Is Anfield, Jack Lusby, wrote an article about him and uh, mentioned that he's basically fallen out of favour at Gladbach. Um, So whilst he was involved quite heavily at the start of the season, uh, the manager, Adi Hutter, who replaced Marco Rosa when he went to Dortmund, doesn't seem to be a huge fan of him. And of the 12 games before the Bundesliga's winter break, he only actually started two of them. Um, and Gladbach apparently find themselves 14th in the table as well. So they're really struggling. And it's gone a little bit, sort of, a bit of a quiet patch in his career, I suppose. And uh, Jack said in the article that um, it wasn't a reflection of his ability that uh, he you know, was on the bench. It was more just the manager's stylistic preferences. Um, but I think even if there's an element of form in there, you've got to be kind of opportunistic because he's not going to have just become a bad player. You know, this is a player who's been regarded as a top midfield talent for a number of years. And I think you've got to sort of view this as a chance to maybe get him for a lot less than if, you know, Gladbach were high flying and he was a regular. So I think we could get him now for, this is just me, you know, make an educated guess. I'm thinking 25 million or less. And this is a player who had a sort of 40 mil release clause. Um, and the reason I think he'd be good for us is uh, having uh, done a bit of research on him. And I think he might have been someone that we spoke about when we had Josh Williams on during the summer window. Yeah. Um, and we went through a few possible targets. Um, you know, Sam Maguire, who's um, obviously one of the, you know, leading Liverpool analysts um, and is quite good for potential transfer targets has talked about his him being similar to Wijnaldum. And I think I certainly would be against getting someone of that mould, given, you know, Wijnaldum's importance as a team, like I spoke about. Um, and you've got Bundesliga experts who've called him one of the top five midfielders in that league. Um, he's got a goal threat, um, which is obviously a bonus as well. Um, apparently, he might need, you know, some time to adapt physically. Um, to the English game, but that's that's natural. Um, and you know, people have raved about his football and brain, his, his ball progression, things like that. And I think crucially, you know, we talk about availability. He's got an extremely good injury record. Um, 
I remember reading in the summer that he hadn't basically had any injury since the 17-18 season. And to my knowledge, that's not changed in the first part of the season. So that is, you know, that makes him basically bulletproof. I mean, he'd probably, he'd probably join us and then, you know, all the injuries would, would start to come at once. But but yeah, so having glanced at the, the options and some of the names we've been linked with, I just thought it was, you know, good to throw him back into the conversation based on what I saw this week about, you know, him falling out of favour a bit and maybe being available on what could prove to be a, a great bargain deal. Yeah, he was heavily linked during the summer. Um, and someone I'd almost, you know, relatively forgotten about because you tend to see when we're linked with a player, those links kind of don't go away until they move somewhere else, essentially. But with Neuhaus, it has kind of stopped. Um, and you're right to say I've just been looking while there while we've been talking about him. Um, he hasn't played 90 minutes in the Bundesliga since the second match of the season. He played the first two 90 minutes and hasn't done it since. And he really has fallen out of favour in recent weeks. Like, we're talking on the bench and not even getting off the bench on occasions recently. So, definitely, you know, potential for him not to be happy um, and want to move. Um, and it is a player Liverpool have certainly been heavily linked with in the past. Like I say, he's a bit more of a, looks a bit more of a creative minded midfielder um, than, you know, other options we might have. He's definitely got goals. His last season, I think, eight goals and eight assists last season. Um, so definitely something to work with there. And, and like I say, I do believe we need uh, a midfielder. We've been, I want to say we've been relatively unlucky in that Harvey Elliott obviously picked up the injury he did. You know, you mentioned sort of, yeah, I don't want to use the term injury prone, but I've got no other way of saying it. So we mentioned injury prone midfielders we've got. We kind of expected them to pick up knocks along the way. But the Harvey Elliott situation kind of came out of left field. We thought, OK, he started the season so well. You know, let's not worry about the Gini Wijnaldum thing. Then he, you know, snaps his ankle in half and the whole picture looks different then. So we've been quite unlucky, but I I still think we need a midfielder, like I say. Um, and the one I was going to throw into the mix comes from the same club, funnily enough, um, Dennis Zakaria. Um, a bit more defensive-minded than Neuhaus. Um, one of my main sort of reasons for wanting him there's two main reasons for wanting him actually one of them is he can play in the six and I think when Fabinho's missing we the drop off from Fabinho to Jordan Henson in the six or James Milner in the six is massive um, so I think having someone who can play the box to box role as well as go and do that I think would be really nice um, he's also out of contract in the summer so if we went for him now and decided to pull the trigger on that move, you know, in January, it shouldn't be particularly expensive, which, you know, I wish I didn't have to base my targets on who we could get on the cheap, but that is a factor. Um, so, yeah, that that would be my sort of realistic, definitely, option for this month. Um, Dave, I'll get you to come in on that. It looks like you want to. Go for it. Yeah, the reason I want to come in was because, you know, I made the list of, uh, midfielders, you know, that I could remember we'd been linked with, and he, he was actually on there. Um, and you know, you, the contract point is obviously huge because the pressure is on for them to cash in on a player who, yeah, is really highly regarded. Um, and based on where they are in the league, mm-hmm. it looks like they might, you know, need to be cashing in. 
and not you know not be able to sort of afford to let players like him walk away on a free. So he could definitely be available for a really good price tag. Um, I'm not going to pretend I know a huge amount about him other than the fact he can play uh, defensive midfield and centre-half. And uh, I did wonder on that, actually, if you were to bring in someone who could play centre-back like Zaccardia, whether that means you can loan out Joe Gomez uh, for the second half of the season. And, you know, the indications are that we're not interested in doing that. And I... Mm to emphasise CM very much as part of our long-term future still. But you do you do have to say that regular football for him at a top-flight level until the end of the season could be hugely beneficial. Um, and the other thing I'd say about Zaccardi, it is, and you alluded to it, in terms of backing up Fabinho, I think Klopp looks at Tyler Morton as a yep. long-term defensive midfield um not successor as much, but maybe the player who can fulfil that role in the squad. Because you're right, it is a it is a gap that we have, and Henderson isn't able to carry it out as well. Although I think he's he's decent in that role, he's not a specialist by any means. Um, and Morton, as when I looked, has played more as a sort of central midfield number eight figure um, at a youth level. But it seems to be Klopp views him as someone who can kind of sit in front of the back four. But um, he looks like he's probably still a couple of years away from at least from being that sort of level to be the, the mm. Fabinho standing um, in, you know, Premier League and, and Champions League games, really. So, yeah, I think that's a good shout as well. And, uh, yeah, glad back at the team who, although they've struggled this season, they've got, you know, there's plenty of talented players there. And I think they showed that really um, under the previous manager. Yeah, they probably, you know, overachieved in many ways under their previous manager. But like you say, in terms of talent, there's definitely some to be had there. And um, just to say on the Morton point, I think it's a really good shout and he has been really impressive when he's come in. I just think those couple of years you alluded to towards the end, that's where I see him. And I potentially see him being better off maybe a lone season away. Um, if you look at what Chelsea have done with Billy Gilmore, absolutely random shout, I know. And similar to what we did with Harvey Elliott whether it's like a decent championship level or a, a lesser Premier League side, that's where I think Tyler Morton would really benefit. Um, and that would probably mean we would have to sign someone in the interim. So that's where I'm at with that. Um, Chloe, I'd like you to come in um, with your name and also any thoughts you've had on who's been mentioned so far. Well, the two people I was thinking of have both been mentioned. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, the, the I wanted a box to box midfielder as me me first thought, um, and you know I I didn't know whether Zakaria could do the box to box because I thought he was more defensive, but if he's as good as everyone talks about, then hopefully he can do that transition. Uh, it was it was hard for me when when he's putting the agenda realistic, um. I sat here and struggled because in my mind we are not signing a single person. Yeah. So realistic is absolutely no one to me. Um so I, I had a field day thinking I'm like me me dream transfer window if I could pick a transfer window that I have. Um but yeah, Zakaria and Norhouse came into it. Um I like the how young they are and yet mm. they've both got a lot of experience uh within what the, what they're doing. Um I think our midfield is aging, so it is important. 
I don't think anyone can do the role of Fabinho as good as Fabinho. Um, and I think Jordan Anderson, his, he's quite sound uh, when having to do that role. But uh, two of the three of them, when you also play Thiago in there, they have to be took off around 70, 75 minutes. Um, and it's becoming a thing where you know that two of your subs are going to have to be made on the um, on the midfield. Otherwise, you're going to get leggy. So, yeah, uh, midfield was the place where I thought those two, they just look really uh, a lot of stamina, experience. Um, Zakari is really well built as well. I, I don't think you'd bully him much. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the sound of them, but uh, obviously, realistically, do I think they're going to come in? No. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Um I'll come back to you, Chloe. I've got another name. Um, this isn't my second signing. It's sort of on the lines of the area we've been talking about. Because um, I want to move to a more of attacking situation myself in a minute. But I want to ask you, someone we were linked with in the summer, what, what are your thoughts on... Because for me, it's not as realistic as Zakaria, which is why I opted for Zakaria. But Eve Basuma of Brighton, um, I think he's tailor-made for this Liverpool side and in Gergen Klopp side. So I'll get your thoughts, Chloe, on what, do you think he'd fit at Liverpool? I think he is unbelievable as a footballer. Um, I don't. I think a lot of people, like everything's gone quiet because what what's been in the media about it. But um, I will say that he's, he's a really, really good footballer. Uh, that I was very surprised when we played Brighton uh, at home. He came off the pitch and he was their best mm. player. And when he came off the pitch, I was absolutely made up. Yeah. And yet he still obviously came back. Um, but yeah, I think he's a really, really good midfielder, box to box. Um, you know that he's already done it before and he can do it in the Premier yeah. League because let's not lie, the Bundesliga compared to the Premier League, there's not as much intensity um, and and we can look at the physique and all that, but it's just it's not the Premier League. It, you're on a different like way of length for the Premier League. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think um, he's a good shout. I don't think it's realistic, um, and I also think he'd be more money. Like yeah. I'm thinking. I I think the the figures that were given were like thirty five forty, but that just seems too cheap for a player who's shown he can do it and is young in the Premier League so um, yeah another good name who I think had a really fit Liverpool but um, you just you, you don't want to say too much about the situation especially not with well, yeah. um, the fact that you know it probably won't happen anyway No well he did make a return obviously having been out of the side for a few weeks um, and I think that was the reason he got brought off in that game but I was the same as you I was sat there and thought when he got took off, I was made up because him and um, and Buepo, I want to say, pretty much boss that midfield against the Liverpool midfield that we're talking about, obviously. Um, and in terms of the price tag, just to finish on that, I think that's probably reflective of where Brighton are in terms of they probably aren't in the position to sort of demand upwards of 60, 70 million. And that's not where they are as a club, I'd say. But I do completely agree that he's probably worth more than that. And also, Premier League experience is a huge one. And that's always a gamble when you sign someone without experience. Um, but yeah, fair enough. Dave, I'll come to you um, for your second realistic slash dream slash who you want. Yeah, so um, moving on to the uh, the forward positions this time, uh, it would be my sort of second 
choice in more ways than one in that if we were going to make a signing, uh, it would be a midfielder, first of all, would be my biggest priority. But yeah, I think it's clear and it has been clear for a while that we need quality backups in, you know, in wide areas. And whilst Minamino and Origi are both decent players, we can all agree on that, the drop-off is just too big and that's obvious to everyone. Um, so there were two uh, names that I had a kind of serious look at here. Um, and the first one is someone I suspect that both of you might possibly have, um, which is probably why it's good that I've got a second option. Um, the first one is, is Rafinha. And the issue here, I think, is, you know, Chloe talks about the, this realistic label and it is quite vague. Um, but the way I interpret it in the Rafinha cases would lead be willing to entertain a sale in January. Um, Where they in the position most people expected them to be this Mm -hmm. season, which is, I think, around where they were last season, um, I think maybe. And they are eight points above the relegation zone, albeit uh, Burnley have a couple of games in hand on them. So I don't think Leeds are really in too much relegation trouble. I think it's sort of... Watford, Burnley, Norwich, Newcastle, three of the four that will go down. Um, so I don't think it's a case of sell the fee and you get relegated kind of thing. But I do think that Leeds might take it as too much of a risk because yeah. he's he's probably their best player and he's one of their most important as well. Um, you know, in an, in an ideal world, and this is a dream window kind of thing, so he's a valid shout. I think he'd be an excellent signing for us. Like, 24 goals and assists in 48 games for Leeds. That's a brilliant record. He's just absolutely amazing to watch as well. You know, one of the most entertaining players in the league. And that, and that doesn't mean he's like a needless showboat. He's just sort of properly like electrifying. And he can play on either wing as well. And that versatility is a, a huge uh, asset as well. So, yeah, I'd love to sign Rafinha. I think maybe want to revisit in the summer personally um, if we can't get anyone in, in January. The other option uh, I had for forward was someone who was linked during the summer um, and actually moved during the summer. So again, question marks over realism, but it's uh, Dan Juma from Villarreal. And when we were linked to them, obviously he was still at Bournemouth and there were people saying, yeah, he's had a brilliant season in the championship, but there were, there were concerns, I think, over whether he could translate that to a top team. But he's been absolutely amazing for Villarreal. You know, nine goals, three assists. Um, they're great numbers. I think we probably had the chance to watch him in the uh, Champions League games against United. I, I know, you know, particularly at Old Trafford in the first half, he absolutely ran them ragged. You know, um, that was a fantastic display from him. And uh, crucially, I think the underlying numbers are quite good as well. Um, that was a concern raised uh, when he was in the Championship. But um, if you look at his sort of expected goal contributions touching the opposition box the shots he's taken where he's taken them from it's all the kind of numbers that you'd look at um and say it's similar to what Jossa Salah and Mane were doing before they arrived and really that's the that's the criteria that Liverpool I think will and should use um when they're looking for this next um this next forward option um and I suppose the thing because he's just arrived and obviously will only be six months into his contract is his price tag. Um I think because of you know 
it doesn't it seems like basically the Premier League's the only one that's um been able to take the the COVID hit and almost proceed in a way kind of like like things were before really um whereas I think the European leagues have maybe suffered a bit more so if you you know I think they paid just over 20 mil for them if you're offering to double their money would they accept that I think maybe um they're like eight in the table so I'm not sure how much kind of authority they, they could kind of wield in the negotiation but yeah again this is just a kind of educated guess for me so that's why I put him because I think that it's you know Jota, Salah and Mane were all sort of around the 35-40 mil mark weren't they so if we're looking to pay that again I think it's not totally out of the question that we could get in for that again it might be one to revisit in the summer but yeah he looks um he looks like a, a real gem to be, to be honest so if we couldn't get Rafinha um then I'd be I'd be looking at Dan Juma. so that's that's my take on the four positions. Yeah, so mine was also Dan Juma. Um, and I did raise a smile when you said he'd moved in the summer because I knew what was coming. Um, mainly went with him over Rafinha because you mentioned versatility with Rafinha, which he is. He, he can play on the left. Um, but my sort of overriding view of him is playing from the right um, for Leeds, which is where... Obviously, a certain Mohamed Salah plays for us. Um, and, you know, we talk about having, you know, potentially two players in most positions um, and having backup for players and so on and so forth. But, you know, look at Mohamed Salah's numbers this season. He's probably the one player we, we don't really need cover for, to be honest. And if you look at his availability record, Touchwood as well, since he's been in the club. Um, you know, this AFCON situation now is one of the first times he's going to be missing for any prolonged period. So... Yeah, for me, I'd have gone with Dan Juma. Well, I did go with Dan Juma um, for that reason, because he predominantly plays from the left. Um, and that's where I believe we need cover more for Sadio Mane's absence on one hand and also his lack of form on the other. I know he scored just before the break against Chelsea, but you know, previously he'd gone 10 games without a goal contribution. Um, even if you know a new arrival gives him a kick, and he goes on and he recaptures his form. I think that's great. But if a new arrival comes in and has to play instead of him, then so be it. But yeah, I've been really impressed with Dan Juma. And I think you're right to say when we were linked, when he was at Bournemouth, people were a bit snobbish in terms of, yeah, it's Bournemouth, it's the championship. And his Premier League record, the year he went down, was pretty bad, I think. But you look at what he's done since he's been in Spain and he's been brilliant. And that Old Trafford, you know, I know tearing people apart at Old Trafford isn't necessarily hard this season, but he really did, really did take the mick for 45 minutes at least there. So, he, I think he's a really good shout. And just to finish on it, um, you know, you're right in terms of Villarreal would probably demand double the money at least. But for me, that's a situation whereby if he heard or he knew, which you would, Liverpool were interested, he might be the one initiating that move. Because, you know, you're looking at a move to Liverpool. He's already played in England. He knows the stature of the club and so on. Um, Champions League football, guaranteed almost. You know, it's it's one of them. You don't know how much power the player has in these situations. So, yeah, I think he is realistic. I do. Um, Chloe, same again. Any attacking names in mind? Um, and what are your thoughts on the two mentioned? Um, those are two of the three. Uh, the other one's not realistic at all. Um, but 
I'll get on to that. I'd personally go with Rafinha first. Um, and once again, I come back to the fact that look at the stats he's doing in that lead side, which isn't playing at its best. Um, you know, near relegation zone, he is there like saving hope there. Um, he absolutely controls games. He's obviously got the skill. Um, we know he can do it. And and also, uh, some I think I was watching Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago. And uh, whoever was on commentary turned around and said, you know, it's going to be a great ball in by him. And he absolutely puts a corner out. Like, he, he, like from the corner kick, it just doesn't go in play. Um, and I, I like that because he takes some shots that are absolutely wild. But then I look at Mo Salah, who's the best in the world. And some of his shots, sometimes when he snatches at shots, they end up so far wide that the, that the cop and, and the entirety of Anfield just can't help but laugh. Um, and he does remind me of a Liverpool player. He reminds me of the fact, you know, intensity. He's got the pace in behind. Um, he's obviously got the skill. He also is from Brazil. So the links with Fabinho, Firmino, Alisson, you know, maybe that could uh, help him push for a move. I, I just think he's he's a really, really class, classy player. Um, and if he's doing it in a squad in which he's creating most of the chances... Imagine doing it in a Liverpool squad where he's going to get literally about five chances a game. Um, and it's just the case of, you know, has he got the finishing ability on him? Um, so I put him above Dan Juma. Once again, don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but the other one that, you know, is literally as recent as yesterday uh, is Luis Diaz for 60 mil. Is it ever going to happen? Absolutely not. But some journalists that I've got no idea of said it would be done in the next couple of days. And do I believe him? Yeah, just because <laughs> why the hell not? Why would you not? It gets me excited and it does it all the time. It did it with Saul, who went to Chelsea. I thought he was a really class player, you know, supposedly a day away from signing for Liverpool. And then he goes and ends up at Chelsea and is actually really not that great. Um, but this is what gets you excited. Listening to people who you've got, like journalists who... People have heard of, but you've never heard of. But they say, you know, they give hints. And whether you do it for clicks or whatever, I don't care. Because I actually, you know, because there's nothing else going on. Um, I actually have enjoyed it. And I think he's an absolute class player. Um, I also, I am a massive fan of Porto. Like, I, you know, I do like Porto. I like the system. I like the stadium. I like the fans. Um it was my first away in Europe, Porto. So I've got a like a hold a special place for Porto in my heart. Um, so I think Luis Diaz is is a brilliant player, skillful, pacey once again, um, got finishing quality, can go on solo runs with the ball, very similar to Rafinha for me, and that's the type that um I'd be after on the wings because I think Jota and Firmino up top, I think no one's going to really beat them for places right now. So. Um, yeah, I'll throw him in the mix, but for 60 mil in January, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. Unfortunately, I think he might be right in terms of it not happening. Um, he is probably my ideal signing, I'd have said. I think Dan Juma was my more realistic one, but I, I think you're absolutely spot on in your assessment of Luis Diaz. I don't think he's particularly covered himself in glory the two times we played them this season. I think he's shown glimpses. Um, but I don't think he was outstanding on either occasion. But if you look at his record um, for Colombia as well, 
I think he was he was either top goal scorer or, or top goal scorer or best player at the Copa America last time out for Colombia. So you know, pedigrees there. Um, I want to get your thoughts, Dave, before we move on um, on Luis Diaz. Just to, oh, and yours, Chloe, again by all means, please do. Yeah, I was just going to. I I just was going to jump in and say that a lot of players don't get the chance to shine against Liverpool because of how much we have the ball, because of yeah. how much we control the game. So it's very hard. You know, you think it's Kumi Minamino. We gave. We were really sloppy in that game uh, against uh, against Salzburg, and he had the chance to shine because of how much he got the ball. Um, and against Porto, against these sides where you control in a Champions League game, I don't think they get as much opportunity. But when you turn it round and they're playing in a in a squad for Liverpool with the the players around them, I think then you understand that he can hit the real ability and. You know, he can hit the ceiling. Um, well, he can go through the ceiling with with how good his potential is. Um, it's it's all about I think it's all about context and the fact that you look at Porto and they've been battered several times and yeah. every time Liverpool play them, like even though you say oh they might be coming for revenge, yeah, don't don't take them for granted. We do end up pretty much battering them. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily his fault in in that sense. But I can like when I picture it, I just picture him along the front three with Jota, Salah, uh, obviously Mane rotating in there for me now. And then also I'm I'm imagining obviously Thiago and behind them, you know, Henderson, Harvey Elliott in the midfield, Fabinho sat deep, uh, making sure that we're always getting the ball back high up the pitch. So like when I when I think of his ability, I think of what he could do in a Liverpool kit in a Liverpool team instead of how he's played maybe against us. Yeah, absolutely fair enough. Really, had nailed it. Like I might have been doing him a slight disservice in terms of that because yeah, when you think about it, we've absolutely dismantled Porto time and time again. So it's a little bit harsh to uh, judge him based on that. Dave, I just want to get your thoughts to uh, finish off on Luis Diaz, please. Yeah, I mean, when he was against us, I think, you know, there were, he did have opportunities to sort of run. I um, remember the game against Anfield, I think he was against uh, Neko Williams. Yeah. Um, he was, and yeah. He, did, he, he did have chances to run at him. And I'd say, you know, Williams won the battle overall. And it, it wasn't a particularly impressive performance, but, you know, in a way, it's kind of, obviously, it's against a, a Premier League side. So it's kind of representative in that way, but it doesn't, Really, it sounds stupid, but it doesn't really matter too much how he plays against against you in terms of, you know, whether he'd be a good signing for you, I suppose. Um, and I think his record in the other Champions League games and certainly domestically and in the Copa America as well, he's done it on several different stages. Um, you know, he's he's up there, I think, in Europe for his goal scoring numbers, or he certainly was at the start of the season. Um and he looks like he looks like a gem, and I think all all the players you've mentioned for these four positions fit the bill. In insofar as if Mane's decline continues, then these are players who can step into the team and replace him. They're not just straight backups, and it is the perfect way to bridge the gulf that exists between Salah, Mane, Minamino, and Origi. I think um, the thing with Diaz is, and it's the reason um, we apparently, you know don't want to go after him at this stage. You know, he's got this release clause, which is worth 67 million quid. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're obviously not going to pay that much. Like I said before, I think it's more in the 40 million range. But I don't know. I think some of the 
um, some clubs, and it seems to be especially common in Spain and Portugal, have these like really huge release clauses for players. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that actually, you know, he, he's a brilliant player, but I, I, I see the being room to negotiate there personally. Um, and I'm surprised that Liverpool's stance is sort of always got this really high release clause. So even though we like him, we're, we're going to just, you know, stay away for now. Um, I think, like I say, I think there could be room to strike a more reasonable fee there. Um, and yeah, just the last thing on this is, you know, it's not one of the top five leagues, but the Portuguese leagues at the moment, Chloe talked about how well Porto operates. They seem to be, you know, among the best talent factories um, in the world, really, at, at this stage, like sort of Benfica Sporting and Porto seem to be bringing through, you know, not just, you know, one or two, but like a series of like extremely promising players almost year on year. Um, and Diaz, who I think is, what is easy, like 24 or something? Yeah, um, 24, yeah. Good, good age, um, still fairly young. Yeah, I think he's, um, it'd be great if we we were the club that landed him because we're not going to be the only uh, elite team who we're, we're looking at and that's for sure. No, we're not. There's certainly a lot of talk, um, certainly in the last 24 hours as well, coming from lots of different angles. Some of them, um, the less said about the better, but some of them seem relatively you know, reputable and possible as well. So we can hope that Liverpool do surprise us all and actually do sign someone, whether it be Lewis Diaz or not. Um, just to finish up here, uh, well, oh, Chloe, go. I was just going to say, can we do one little round of like, Literally, who is your dream signings? Because I didn't say like dream signings here. I knew you were going to say said. dream signings then. I knew it. Um, yeah, we can do. Of course we can. Yeah, let's finish off the potential incoming section. And then I just want to finish very lastly on who might leave the club. But let's get some dream signings. I'll kick us off. And I hope I don't steal you. No, Chloe, you've got to kick us off. I'll tell a lie. Go on. No, no, you can go. You're the host. Okay, if I say if I say yours now, you're going to be fuming. You're not going to say mine. You're going to say sure? mine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you do, realise it all. I'm joking. All right. Um, Erling Haaland. Okay, yeah. That, that was one of mine, but it wasn't like me dream signing. I, I, I would love him. Um, but my two dream signings, and I, I had like these two players. One of them I adore, and I've adored for years. Um. Joshua Kimmich in midfield. What I'd do to have Joshua Kimmich wow. in midfield okay. for Liverpool. And the, the other one doesn't surprise anyone either because it's the same club. Uh, Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller is one of the best footballers I've ever watched. I absolutely adore Thomas Muller um, with absolutely everything he does. I just think he's sensational at football. Um, and I love his attitude. Like when he scores, he doesn't even celebrate. He's just like, yeah, whatever. It's a goal. Um, I, I I love those two in my midfield. One attack and one literally doing everything defensively would be immense. Obviously, Erlen Harlem would be another one, um, which you said. But uh, Joshua Kimmich as like me box to box right next to Fabinho, I, I I think he's a sensational footballer. And Thomas Muller being the attack and one who is getting old now, but I still yeah. absolutely adore him. Um, and I wish we would have signed them a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, those two in my midfield. Well, I did not expect either of them. Uh, and when you were about to name a second Bayern Munich one, I'd have had my house on Robert Lewandowski. Um, <laughs> I suppose the Kimmich situation would kind of, you know, 
ease the Trent Alexander-Arnold back up woes as well, because I think you know he's he's played right back quite successfully as well previously. Um, Dave, I don't know if you expected either of them. I'm pretty sure you didn't have either of them in your mind. So let's get your dream signing. I didn't, but I th- I just think that the the passing ability in the team, if you had a team with Kim Thiago and Trent in, would be, you know, just frightening. Illegal, not illegal. Exactly. Um, so I think it's a good shout. Um, Haaland is obviously, I think, one that any club, um, fans of any club, if they're going to name a dream signing, he's certainly going to be up there as, as one of the top ones. For the sake of differentiating, I'll, I'd probably say Jude Bellingham. Um, because I think that he is someone who, if you sign him, you've got 15 years of a, you know, once in a generation um, player, really. I think he's pretty much got everything. And when there's like a, a link, a fresh link between him and Liverpool, it just does get me like uniquely excited. Um, if we did sign him, I don't think I would be able, it wouldn't be compatible to any sort of transfer previously in terms of you know the level of the level of joy that it would inspire because mm. you know whilst there's no guarantee of an immediate impact like I say I think you know just how young he is and the level he's operating at is, is scary um so yeah I think that <laughs> there'd be people dancing in the streets if uh if Liverpool pulled that one off so yeah dream signing where I'd probably go for him yeah, well, hopefully we can all sit down in three or four weeks and talk about signing Kimmich, Muller, Haaland and Bellingham, and then we can all go dance in the streets. But before that happens, um, I do want to just very briefly get some thoughts on... I've wrote down four players. You're more than welcome to throw anyone else into the mix, but players you've kind of been linked with at the party. We've mentioned them during the show. Um, I'll go too defensive to begin with. Um, and I want to get your thoughts. I'll come to you, Chloe, first on these two. Um, Nico Williams and Nat Phillips have both been linked with potentially leaving the club this month. Um, obviously, we know the, the squad's been stretched. We spoke about postponing the game earlier on. So it's a really difficult time to lose anyone. So, Chloe, what would your thoughts be on us cashing in on, the, on those two in, in this, this transfer window? Um. Nat Phillips, I think, can go if he wants to go. Um, but I think, I think someone putting a bid for seven mil, uh, that's not enough. Yeah. For, for yeah. Nat Phillips at all, you can get at least fifteen or ten to fifteen at least uh, from from other clubs. So I'd hold on to him unless the price is is right. Um, but obviously, for everything he's gave us, I'd say it's personally down to the player. Um, I'd be fine with them going. As for Nico Williams, unless you've got a, uh, you've brought in another right back, I, I would not be sending him out on loan at all. Um, it's well selling him, sorry. Um, and the reason for that is, yeah, Joe Gomez can play right back, but he's not a right back. Um, and I wouldn't want him playing a right back. I I wouldn't want James Milner playing at right back if I have to choose. He can do a job there, but he's also. Uh, being injured this season more than any other time. Um, so there's no bank on him being available. Also, I think midfield, we have too many injuries in the sense of yeah. people are just not reliable. So we used to say that he won't be needed in midfield. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, just to be on the safe side, you keep Nico Williams and you say to him, 
if you really want to go, you can go in the summer. Yeah. But I've been quite impressed with him this season, I won't lie. Um, he's got a lot of stick, and to be fair, I did say a couple of years ago, he's he's not at that level yet, and I still stick by that. He's probably not at the level we need him to be yet. But when he's, you know... Um, when when he's actually played, I've I've been impressed with him. Even at right wing, I've actually been impressed with him. He assists Bobby Firmino at some point. Is it Watford where he assists Bobby Watford Firmino? Watford for the hat trick goal, I think. Yeah. yeah, um, he does brilliantly there. Um, right wing, he's, he's done good. I think when he got put back at right back against Leicester, I think it was. I think he did a great job for us. Um, so I'd keep hold of him just to be safe than sorry. And if he wants mm. to go, then go. But I think he can develop into a good player. I, I don't. He's never going to be your starting right back. Let's be totally honest. Unless you somehow fit uh, Trent into a midfield, which I don't know why you'd want to do that with what he's offering at right back. Um, but unless someone makes the move for him to move in there, and you need a right back. Um, but it all depends if if he can if obviously Nico can get on the level that we need. Um, but for now, keep him. Make sure. Um, he stays at least until the summer. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think better to be safe than sorry is a big takeaway from potentially anyone going in this window. Um, and that's where I'd be with Nico Williams. I think Connor Bradley's not far away, but you know, if we had a big game, Champions League final, to use the old analogy, tomorrow, um, and Trent wasn't available, you know, God help that situation. But I'd rather it was Nico Williams than Connor Bradley, with all due respect to both. Um, Dave? Uh, I want to get your thoughts then on two more attacking options. Obviously, this time last year, well, it's later in the window, but we see Minamino go to Southampton on loan. And there's also talk of Divock Origi being chased by, I seen Lazio yesterday and Newcastle today. So what would your thoughts be on allowing either one of them to leave? Only if we sign someone else. Um, that's just the reality. We just, we need them for, for the numbers. Um, I think I wouldn't be against either player moving on in those circumstances whether it's in January or in the summer uh, but you've got to keep hold of them for now definitely um, the only player as it stands that I'm happy to sell from the first team is Phillips and like Chloe said I'd be looking at 15 million you know he saw the level he was at last season um, the sort of deals there's comparable deals as well for players who are you know just similar level to Phillips and maybe, you know, not even as good. Um, We've gone for like around that 50 mil mark. So I think that's a reasonable demand from Liverpool. So I'd be holding out for that. Um, Hopefully he can get, you know, the move he, he deserves because he's definitely surplus to requirements just because if you don't yeah. need five centre-halves. Um, yeah. So he'd be the only one. I, I think other than that, I'd literally just be looking at, you know, young players. Um, Billy Cometio. I'd probably loan out um, Bradley and Owen Beck. Maybe they could get loan moves, mm-hmm. uh, potentially. Uh, Leighton Clarkson, I think we'll probably get another one. Obviously, just yeah. recalled from from Blackburn. And maybe Tyler Mawson as well. But uh, it looks like Klopp views him as a, a viable option um, in the event of injuries and will maybe use him in, in cup games. Um, so he's probably less likely than the others to go out on loan. But yeah, in my mind, no attackers. Just Phillips and young players being loaned out um, in terms of outgoings. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair enough. And just to say, other than that, Phillips valuation point, I think you're both spot on. Um, I think 15 million is about right. And certainly when you take into account the fact that 
you know, Liverpool historically need to bring in decent funds to actually do any business. And the sell-to-buy model doesn't work if you let players go on the cheap, which other clubs might be able to do, but we don't. Uh, but yeah, that, that'll be all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week, potentially with a more normal episode to reflect on some actual football and look ahead to some more actual football. Um, but I'll just get um, some goodbyes off the pair of you and any final words you want to say. And obviously, thanks for joining us as ever. But Chloe, go for it. Uh, not much from me, but if Luis Diaz does sign in the next couple of days, could we could we literally clip me saying that, please, so I can get all the clout for actually bringing it up? <laughs> of course, we'll do an emergency episode slash meeting as yeah. well. Um, Dave, anything from you? Uh, not really. I guess um, hopefully it's normal next week. Like you say, I do. I did think it was slightly funny that. You had everyone on, on Twitter sort of saying, right, now's the time. Let's finally take the League Cup seriously. It's an important chance to win a trophy. And then within a couple of days, the training grounds are really shut. I think it's just it's something with Liverpool and the League Cup, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that one unfolds. And uh, hopefully this is the the last we hear of, of COVID absentees um, from, from this point onwards. Yeah, I certainly echo that. Hopefully, you know, Liverpool can get back to action, potentially on Sunday, potentially with a makeshift siding in Shrewsbury. Um, We'll see what happens. But yeah, thanks for listening um, and we'll see you all again soon. Take care.